And welcome to Civil Discourse. I'm Jamie Wojciechowski. And I'm Marilyn Brown. And tonight we are talking about Meryl Streep's speech last night at the Golden Globes, her acceptance speech. Um, she was accepting the Caesar B. DeMille Award. And um, she gave a pretty um, interesting speech um, where she brought up you know, some, her concerns about the political climate. And um, so I wanted to just kind of start off by hearing some of your thoughts on the speech and, and just what you thought about it when you saw it. Yeah, um, I thought it was a very emotional speech and she had lost her voice. So I don't know if that added to to the emotional content of it. Um, just it having this element of being hard to say, but there were even, there were pauses and, and um just moments you could tell she got choked up beyond just um, having no voice. But mm-hmm. I thought, one, I've been watch, I've been kind of looking through what everyone's saying about it, um, and it seems I think it, at least from what I've read, there's been a lot more positive than negative. But there is a strong counter reaction, which whenever you criticize Trump in any kind of place, it's going to happen. Mm-hmm. But what I found interesting about it was before when I had just seen it before I had read anything about other people's reactions or kind of listened to what other people had to say about it. The first thing I thought was this, it didn't feel like a speech about Trump to me, which is kind of where the news automatically went. Like every headline was she blasts Trump and all these things. And it didn't, she, I mean, she definitely talked about him and it was, it, there was an element, but it was, Beyond that, she was talking about empathy and she had this big part about an actor's job being to go and understand characters and people they do not understand and sharing that experience with others and sharing that 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 empathy as a, a shared experience. And she challenged Hollywood in general and everyone in the room to really focus on that and make that their kind of why and to really push for that that empathy part of the art and she also i thought on it wasn't just an an anti-trump speech because at the end she made it about what you could do and she was talking about the um committee um for um a safe press i can't remember the exact what exactly called I can't think of it either. Yes, but. I'll put it. I'll put it below when I get it. But yeah, it was a it was a call to action. So I I feel like it was a very solid speech because yes, mm-hmm. there's the emotion there, but it was also about the art and about what people could actually do if they agreed with her and wanted to help. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I think that um, the it's so much easier to pick out the small parts that were about Trump. Um, and focus on that. And so, you know, I didn't actually see the speech until today. And so I saw a lot about it. I saw a lot of headlines about it before I actually got a chance to sit and watch it. And then when I watched it, I was like, okay, you know, she said a couple of specific things about things that he said, but I think that you're right. She really was more so talking about um, just and, and very emotionally and, and, and authentically talking about the the change in kind of the climate overall and 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 really less about trump and just kind of more you know she was talking about bullying and um you know the these kind of this culture of 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 kind of 
attacking each other and, and, and speaking more about that. And I think that you're right that she really did um, have a lot to say about solutions, which I think, you know, is a very mindful way to talk about any of these things, you know, is, is finding a way to, to bring about some sort of a, a way that we can, that we can work on it. And so I really appreciated that part as well. But I think that it, it's frustrating for me that oftentimes something that can, that I think it was a really good and pretty um, mindful speech can kind of be reduced to an attack uh, on, you know, be reduced to this idea that it was just an attack on Trump. Cause I think it really, really was really wasn't about that. Um, yeah. I mean, she never even meant, she never even used his name once. <laughs> yeah. And then the big thing that stuck out to me and I could read it is, um, and this instinct to humi- humiliate when it's modeled by someone in the public platform, by someone powerful, it filters down into everybody's life because it kind of gives permission for other people to do the same. Disrespect invites disrespect. Violence incites violence. When the powerful use their position to bully others, we all lose. And I think it it's just, I don't know how anyone out, outside of it being you Trump supporters having kind of a, a shield up. Um, against criticizing for him, how anyone can just listen to that and take Trump out of it and not agree or not see where where the problem in in using the your pub your public the public sphere and your your privilege of being in the public eye to bully or um condescend or whatever it is and i saw a lot of a lot of people who didn't like the speech say still coming up with that well you can't prove that he was actually making fun of that journalist and they showed other videos about how it's just who he is and it's natural and there's nothing the the intent that he has because it's a natural behavior isn't um malice or isn't isn't to degrade people mm-hmm. but i mean if we're if we're bringing mindfulness into it if that if that's your habit it still needs to be pointed out to be corrected because it is no matter yeah it might be a habit that he got from someone or something that he doesn't even realize at this point but that doesn't make it make it okay right right and i also think that you know and i know that she she specifically brought up that um instance of of bullying um, that, that if that wasn't his intention, I mean, there's so many that, you know, that's, that's one, you know, very, um, I, I don't know. I mean, it, it's hard because I, I, I watched that video and I feel like I don't, I don't know what, what other intention you can take from it, but there's so many other things that, that he's done that are, you know, that are clearly cases of bullying. And so it, whether we're focusing on that where, okay, maybe, Maybe there was a gray area. I don't. I don't know that that's really the most important thing to focus on. I mean, I just think that you know. And and again, I, I think that she wasn't really specifically only talking about him. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that the 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 if it were if Donald Trump were the only um, issue, this we wouldn't really be talking about this. But there's this. Like she said, it's kind of emboldened when someone in power emboldens everyone else um, and 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 normalizes this type of 
communication, that's where the, that's where the bigger problem is. And that's something that we can all find a way to, to address, you know, and, and to be able to, to, to work on in our own lives. You know, we can't stop the things that are coming out of his mouth or out of his Twitter, but we can all kind of look at how we're talking to each other and how we're talking to the people in our lives and communicating um, overall and, and, and communicating with compassion. And I really like that. That's what she, you know, talked about towards the end was, was empathy and compassion. Yeah. And I think it's important to also look at who, who she was delivering the speech to, because Mm -hmm. it was very clear to me that the speech was being delivered to the Hollywood foreign press and to the people in that room. Mm -hmm. Yes. She wanted to get the message out, but that she was directly talking to them in this I think she was bringing it up, yes, to criticize Trump, but also to remind the people in the room of their responsibility as artists and as public figures who have influence. And yes, you have this whole thing of like Hollywood elites and stuff, but people still watch those movies, those messages, whatever the messages of what you're creating in that art is is affecting people, whether they're aware of it or not. So I think a, a lot of what she was saying was also... Um, a, a warning to the people in the room that they have a responsibility and that the things they do and the characters they take on and the way they portray them and the stories that they tell have an effect and that she wants them to take responsibility for that effect and make sure that it's a positive one that leads with with empathy yeah 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 i think i think you're right that she she was really kind of speaking more as a call to artists um, of, of what to do with the art and, and how to be responsible in what you create. Um, but I also think that, you know, the, the other criticism that I noticed um, online today when I was reading about it was this, which I think we see a lot um, whether, when artists or athletes speak up on whether it's social justice issues or activism, you know, stay in your lane. You're only an actress. You're not supposed to speak out on these things. And I wonder, what do you, um, as an artist and an activist as well, what do you think about that? So I did have a little back and forth with some people on online today um, about that very specific issue. And mm-hmm. I think it's interesting because what I find is with most people is they only have that opinion when it's celebrities who are speaking up things that they don't agree with so today someone was online and they were talking about how celebrities shouldn't do that and then they put an article about mark Wahlberg making a political statement about how artists shouldn't be political and i was like but that's that's you using a celebrity making a political statement that agrees with you so now it's okay because (laughs) the celebrity agrees with you like there's there's that disconnect there but i also think it, it was you could tell people don't want to the people who were fighting against me, they were just, they were fighting against me. You know, nothing I was going to say was going to change them. And I'm not going to go in. I'm not going to have a long debate with someone over Facebook. So I basically just put in it. It it stopped the conversation quite abruptly actually was that, well, I mean, it's fine for us to agree or disagree, but at least it's great that we still live in a country where she has that choice. Where mm. we can speak up whether we agree or not, but she has the right to make that choice of how she wants to use her platform. Mm-hmm. Um, and we have a choice. You have a choice to go watch a movie or not watch a movie if you agree with that platform or not, or however it is. But that's 
at least we still live in a country that's like that. I don't know if it'll be like that forever, but at least we right. do now. Right. Yeah. <laughs> so that's yeah. something we can all agree on. <laughs> yes, definitely. I, I like that response. And I also, um, I love the way um, Jesse Williams responded to it. He did a really awesome NPR interview um, a couple of weeks ago. And, you know, he said, you don't, you don't own us. You don't get to tell people what they get to do, you know, why, you know, why with artists, is it okay to tell them that you can't have an opinion about important other issues in your life, but you wouldn't tell like your butcher that, you know, he can't have an opinion about something medical or something like that, you know? And so it's just interesting that this, this kind of idea, this, the, and, and you're right, it only comes from, it's only in reaction to a, to an opinion that someone doesn't agree with or someone speaking up about injustice that, that, that someone doesn't agree with, but it's this idea of like, stay in your lane. That's not your place to say, you know, people get to use their voice the way they want to use it. And if they have a larger platform because they're a celebrity, that's still their choice to be able to use their platform the way they want to. And if it offends you, you know, that someone is is speaking up on things that are important to them, I think that it, it's probably a better idea to kind of turn that, inward and figure out what's going on that it offends you so much that someone is speaking up on something yeah and i think it's i think it's two things i think there's a cognitive dissonance there for sure of this i mean so much of the rhetoric uses freedom 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 and then as soon as someone does something you don't like you want to have the free it's like what is freedom it's Mm-hmm. And that's what I ask people when people are like, well, do you believe in freedom? I'm like, okay, what's your definition of freedom? Right. Is, is it that you get to control what everyone else does because you want to be free and you think freedom is you being allowed to do whatever you want without taking a broader picture of them? That means everybody can do what they want. Mm-hmm. Or to me, my definition of freedom is, yeah, you have freedom to the point that it infringes on other people's freedoms. So I can do what I want, but I can't do anything that's going to infringe on someone else's life in in a negative way um, or without their permission. Or, I mean, it's a, it's a freedom, such a a complex thing of what it is. I think the other thing is, I think it's the power element and the platform element. I think people, I, I, there's a negative reaction to it because I think it, there's a, a, a slight feeling of maybe help, helplessness there because mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. don't have that platform. So right. then they feel like it's not level playing, a level playing field, especially I think with, mm-hmm. with Hollywood, because Hollywood is, I mean, I'm in Hollywood. It, it's, it's very liberal. I mean, there are definitely conservatives who have very powerful voices in Hollywood, but it's overwhelmingly liberal. So I can see why, um, conservatives would try to rally against it because that there there is a kind of concentrated power that the other side doesn't really yes. have or doesn't perceive to have because it's also I mean it's a, it's a complicated situation because you also have Fox News and Fox News has a much larger reach than any of the liberal media does right. uh, in actually shaping the way people think about policy and <laughs> and politics so it's just yeah, I think it's different for each side of how they use power and influence. It's there, but I can see why there's such a big issue whenever a, a liberal Hollywood elite says something political. Because there's yeah. a little. I notice when people say things, conservatives say things. There's there's backlash, but it's it tends to go away a lot quicker. Um, 
mm-hmm. but I think it's because it's like, oh, this actor said this, but most of Hollywood disagrees. So there's this whole barrage of other people who are calling them out at the same level where right. you don't, you also don't see that. You don't, I don't see actors of Meryl Streep's level, which I mean, in fairness, Meryl Streep, there may not be any, but <laughs> you don't see those. <laughs> you don't see high level actors calling her out. At least I haven't, you know, so it's, it's. Yeah, no, I think you're right. I had never really thought about it that way. Um, but no, I think, I think you're right that, that it, it, it's perceived as, as a different kind of playing field. But it's also, it, I mean, it's, it's politics. I mean, she's not Meryl Streep's speech. I don't think is swaying anybody, you know, she's, she's reaching the people who pretty much already agree with her and are sympathetic to what she's saying. She's enraging the people who didn't. So it's, I mean, she's just, what I loved about it was the ending and how she gave, not just the ending, she did it a few times where she actually gave people something they can do who supports what she's saying. I think that's the that's the important part a lot of people miss is you can go on all the rants about Trump or about mm-hmm. or about Hillary or about whoever you want to go on rants about. But at this point, you're not swaying many people's opinions. Most right. people set their opinions before they even know any facts. So <laughs> what you're best off doing is finding ways for people who agree with you and support things you support to be active. And I've been mm-hmm. telling a lot of people that post-election who just feel um, overwhelmed by everything. I'm like, find a find an organization, find a cause that you care about. And it's it's hard because a lot of people, I mean, especially if you were really engaged through this presidential election, you, I think, get caught up in because all the issues are covered. So people don't know where they want to focus. They say, oh, but I care about all these things. Right. And it's like, well, you don't have time in your day to, to focus and combat every mm-hmm. issue. You have to you have pick one and right. then really fight for that. And there's enough people that if we all picked one, they probably all be covered pretty well. Right. Um, yeah. And I think that, I think that people just get overwhelmed. I think right now people are overwhelmed with, with, the amount of things that they could get involved with. And so I think you're right. This just narrowing it down, picking one thing that's important to you, or maybe if you're somebody who really, you know, needs a couple of things to kind of keep your, keep yourself um, busy, maybe two at most, but really picking things that are important to you and, and where there's local um, ways for you to get involved. You know, I think that getting involved with a community is really important. Um, and so, you know, there's a lot of different opportunities to do different things online, but a lot of, um, you know, that kind of grassroots activism is happening in the community, in the community centers and, and with different meetings and things like that. So I would say find something local um, and, and try to get involved and, and build a community around that because, you know, it it, it is um, I think the challenge for a lot of us right now is to not want to do everything and to not mm-hmm overwhelm ourselves with all of of the issues and even, you know, spending time on Facebook and going through Twitter. Sometimes I just find myself getting overwhelmed with, with everything. And so I have to, you know, be mindful of, of my own energy and my own kind of, you know, what I'm bringing in and kind of shut some of those things down just so that I don't get so overwhelmed and try to do too much. And so, yeah. Yeah. And I think too, I I like what you're saying about getting engaged on 
the local level with whatever it is. It doesn't even have to be politics. If it's, it could be art, it can be, um, helping the, it could be, it could be anything. Um, but the people from a mindfulness perspective and just from self care, the, the people who I know who are engaged politically, but just culturally or whatever that are the happiest are the ones that are at the local level, because I think it's easier to create change it's easier to map out the change because so much of it happens at local level and then has to build and build and build until it gets to the the state level or the national level or whatever it is so it's it's hard when you're just solely focused on the the biggest fights because Mm -hmm. you then just see that fight you don't see all the little fights underneath that are happening to help achieve what you're trying to achieve right right but i give the speech six out of five stars yeah, I thought it was excellent. <laughs> okay, I so excellent. I want to move on to you had a very exciting weekend last weekend. You did your very first silent meditation retreat. I want to hear all about it. <laughs> oh my gosh. It was awesome. So I did it over New Year's. So it was a three day retreat um, up in Malibu, and it was hosted by Against the Stream. They're a wonderful organization. Um, I didn't know that. I love them. Oh, okay. Yeah. They're <laughs> oh, against the stream. Their website is against the stream.org. Um, they have retreats, they have day long meditation, um, day long classes. They have a lot of things going on in Santa Monica and Hollywood, but this retreat was up in Malibu and it was a silent retreat. There was no signal, which was awesome. Um, and it, you know, three days of, of, of silence. And, and when they say silence, they also mean like no eye contact, no, you know, it was just really, you're kind of just supposed to be in your own bubble. And we alternated between sitting meditation and walking meditation throughout the day. Um, and then each day there was like a Dharma talk. Um, but you know, I'm, I'm someone who has studied mindfulness, has studied it for a very long time. I have a pretty good knowledge of it as far as, um, you know, as far as a therapist, as far as the work that I've done um, of understanding the concepts and I've done off and on, um, had a practice over the years, but to actually spend time sitting for three days and really just kind of experiencing it was something I've never um, experienced. I mean, it was just really like it, you know, it was so, so, so meaningful to actually experience it over an extended period of time. Um, were there any struggles with it? Because I know when I did mine, I, I don't know. In the sh- in the shorter ones, I don't think I had it as much. But in some of the longer ones, I remember just having days of, of just. I mean, it, it felt like torture at times. Like yeah, to just sit with yourself. And once you got out of it and you relaxed, it was glorious and so <laughs> worth it. But where really? did you have any of those? kind of moments or I had a couple really short moments, but I think cause this was a short retreat. It was three days. Um, so for me, it was a good, you know, kind of start a retreat, but I definitely by the end of the year would like to do either a seven or a 10 day to really kind of experience that. Um, and because I think I've, you know, I wasn't completely brand new to meditation right. overall, I was able to like sit for the three days without it being like, just completely feeling like torture at any point. Um, you know, there was a lot of boredom, um, you know, that, that just, it amazes me how bored I was able to, you know, how I would get so bored and just what my mind would do to kind of entertain itself. 
Um, like I'm somebody who I constantly have music in my head. I wake up with a song in my head and usually like the same song will be on repeat throughout my head throughout the day. And so when I was there, it was just interesting kind of realizing that I think it's kind of a boredom thing that (laughs) there's kind of music playing in my head. And so just noticing those little things and, and also noticing, um, you know, that experience of being around people and eating meals together and, and even having a roommate, um, and not talking to each other, you know, and, and how much we, um, you know, how much of interaction in our, our communication really does go on in our own heads without the, without the interaction, without the eye contact, without the talking and the actual communicating. There's so much that I realized, um, just goes on in my own head about my interactions with other people. So that was really cool and enlightening to see and experience. Um, and it was also just nice to do it over new years. And so, you know, we did, we did some, um, ritual over, you know, over the new year that evening to kind of do some letting go and, and set some intentions. And, um, um, it was raining and like it rains rarely in LA. And so it was a rainy weekend and it was just, it was beautiful just kind of being up there. It was at a really pretty, um, camp facility. Um, and so, yeah, it was just, it was awesome. But I, I honestly, New Year's day, which was when it ended, I was sad, um, that it was over. I, I was sad. I had to like you know, go back down the hill and my phone was going to start dinging again and you know, real life was going to happen. I was like, I could do a couple more days of this. So I'm, I'm looking forward to doing it to kind of really strengthen my practice um, going forward. And, and also I noticed the effects afterwards, which were kind of cool. Um, you know, for me, just less interest in just less kind of craving for anything, you know, craving for entertainment craving for, um, food, craving for just kind of just any kind of, you know, things like normally, you know, I, I came home and there were things that I had missed or shows that I had missed. And normally I would like get excited and plop down. Okay. I'm going to watch this, this, and this, you know, and, and I didn't have any interest in those things. Now, granted it didn't like last forever. <laughs> it was right. a couple of days before, you know, does. I was wrestling with those, you know, with those cravings again that are very much um, real life. But I could see how, you know, I could see how it, it gets easier the more the more practice you do, how it how it, it would get easier. So that was nice. Yeah, I remember I did a 10 day and I came back to L.A. and I, I had the first thing I had to do was I had an, an agent meeting with a. Uh, a new agent and first time we were ever meeting and she was the first person I was going to speak with in 10 days. And I remember she, I like got into her office and I I said, hello. And she goes, wow, you're, you're a very centered person, aren't you? And I was like, you, I don't even know how to speak to you right now. Like I couldn't verbalize words. I just like kept looking at her. (laughs) It was insane. (laughs) And you're like, I can't form words. words. But it was because I was like, and it wasn't, it was weird because it was because I was totally present, you know, like I was hyper aware and I was just like there waiting for the next thing to happen as uh-huh. opposed to normally I'm in those situations and I'm thinking, okay, I have this whole script in my head of things I should say and things I shouldn't say and how to keep the conversation going if there's a lull in the conversation and all this stuff you think about when you're yes. basically at an interview and none of it was there. I was just, just there and just in the moment yeah and it's funny because she 
noticed and she sent me an email after about how wonderful the conversation was and she wished all her meetings would go that way so it's it's funny because we do all these things to try to i'm talking about prepping and having Uh trying to control things as much as we can in a situation and it a lot of times doing that just makes it not worse, just makes it more challenging, I would right, say. Yeah. And if you're just it's out of the moment. Yeah. It, 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 it takes us out of the moment when we when we do the prep and the rehearsal and, and all of that, then we're thinking about those things rather than just actually being in the moment with that person. And so, you know, not saying that prep and preparation for interviews right. is like not a good idea. Please prep for your interviews, people. But <laughs> um you know, recognizing that at some point we have to kind of be able to shift and let let the prep go and and be able to just be in the room, you know? And I mean, as an actor, that's, that's the number one is you do all this prep work and then you're in a scene and you have to let it go. If you're worrying about the prep work, it's never, you're just, you're not going to be there when you need to be there. Um, Yeah. So what was your biggest takeaway from the three days? My biggest takeaway was just practice, 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 like really just, spending the time sitting and experiencing it. It's like meditation, mindfulness is such an experiential process. And so for me, that was the biggest takeaway is like, I can like, you know, be, I can approach this very academically and learn all about it and, and, and learn all the things and the concepts and read all the books, but none of that compares to what I get when I'm able to just sit down and actually experience it for myself. So it really just, I came home with a renewed, um, dedication to my practice. And I think, you know, over the years I've, you know, come and I've, I've, I've gone back and forth with my practice, but I think because I didn't experience something like this, it was harder to be more patient with it. You know, I think that was a bigger takeaway too, is like, um, you know, our, one of our teachers explained that, you know, this is, we're cultivating something. We're not, you know, we're planting seeds right now and, and we can't plant the seeds. And then like an hour later, look for what we planted to have grown and, and sprouted. We have to plant the seeds and trust that over time, you know, we cultivate this, that that it will um, make a difference. And so I think for me that that's helped because I think I've definitely always had this like impatient, like, okay, I'm going to learn all about it and I'm going to do a three week meditation challenge and then have it, you know, and it's like, no, you know, it doesn't work like that. And and I'm, I'm, it, it's so yeah, I think that's a, the biggest takeaway for me is patience and practice. Yeah, it's interesting, because I was thinking about this earlier today. I have a very n- not, I have a negative visceral reaction. And when people start talking about intentions within their mindfulness practice, or within yoga or with everything, and I'm completely aware it's an it's an ego thing on my part and it's just the associations i put onto the word but mm-hmm. it it my the way i my issues with word are a lot of what you're talking about is it for me when i think of an intention i think of trying to get somewhere or trying to to force something or and someone once told me oh you should just i mean it is the same thing, but you should just stop calling attention and calling it attention. Where are you putting your attention? Or mm-hmm. what, what's that attention? And it's 
I don't know why this rant has really nothing to do with what you were talking about, but it just reminded me of it. It was like complete A to C. <laughs> but it's just interesting how how just using the different word or having a different type of awareness changes so much, which is kind of what what I think you're saying. It's just that the yes. subtle shift makes such a big difference. Yes. Yeah, definitely. And And I think for me that that subtle shift was in the actual experience of it. I was able to like, Oh, okay. Now, now I see how this can work. And so that's helped me shift my, um, just how I approach it altogether, which is really kind of a cool thing to happen where it's not something that I'm like fighting to do or like, you know, guilting myself like, Oh, still haven't done that thing today. You know, it's, it's, it hasn't been, um, I haven't approached it in that way. So yeah, I think those subtle shifts, which is really what, you know, I think mindfulness teaches us is that those little subtle shifts can make all the difference. So. Yes. And for anyone who's listening or watching, who is thinking about starting a mindfulness practice, we don't talk about this enough, I don't think, but, um, there's so many resources out there and it doesn't require you to spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars or any money at all. You can literally, there's multiple videos on YouTube that can teach you how to do it. I know there are um, places that do live streaming every morning or every night where you can actually sit with people live um, and meditate. Their meetup.com in most cities will have meditation meetups that are free or small donation. Um, yeah, I mean, I have my own my own agenda because I I have an ego issue with people who charge a lot of money to teach people how to meditate. But yeah, um, yeah, yeah. So there's there's just so many places. There's Buddhist temples and I know that scares some people, but the vast majority of them are not pushing um, any kind of dogma. Um, right. Some are. And if you go to that and that's not your thing, then don't go back. But <laughs> a lot of them are just practice based um, because that's really the point of them. So, yeah. yeah. And there's also an organization for schools called Mindful Schools or MindfulSchools.org where they're actually bringing mindfulness into schools and it's completely non-secular. Um, so yes. that's an option as well. So I we, think, you know, whenever, when I was first exposed to mindfulness and, and meditation, I just, I, one of my first thoughts with it was, man, I thought, I wish someone had taught me this when I was like little, you know? So I think it's great that there is a, um, you know, there's a push now to get it in schools, which is really great, too. Yeah, and we can and will probably do an entire segment on that because there's yes. been great research done on the topic um, and schools that have implemented it have found drastic behavioral improvements and social improvement. Um, yeah, let's do that one soon. I know. Maybe time. we'll do that next. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Well, thank you for sharing your experience with us. Thank you. Thank I you. So I want to end with a quote. Yes. Um, and this, this quote really sums up the experience for me um, of going to retreat and, and what it really meant to me. So knowledge is only rumor until it lives in the bones. And that is a quote from the Asaro tribe. 
So knowledge is only rumor until it lives in the bones. And so for me, I was able to really incorporate that knowledge into the bones with retreat. I love that. Well, okay. Now I need to go meditate. I'm just in that place. Right. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Yes. So everyone have a good one and catch us online at civil D TV. And I'm at Jamie Woj, J A Y M E. And I'm at mindful Maryland. Thank you guys. Have a good night. See you next time.